tell you, I don't know if you grew up going to uh, youth camp or kids camps like Omar's talking about today, um, but I remember going to camp and then coming back for church service the next Sunday saying, oh, I just wish church service when we gathered together was as powerful as the week at camp has been. And uh, I will tell you, at no other place I've ever served have I felt like the Lord has proven that prayer faithful to where we get to come together and allow the Lord to move mightily in song and word and in prayer. Um, today, we're going to be spending all of our time, I'll say that, we're going to be all over the Bible, but mainly in Acts chapter 12 as we get into it. We're going to be talking about this kind of great unraveling, and I'm going to do my, my best to stay focused. Um, there's so much good in what we're about to get into. I don't want to miss uh, the great for us. Um, I, I don't know what shows or comic books or books you grew up reading. Did you? Did you? I remember sitting with my dad watching Bonanza. I don't know if you, anybody here watched Bonanza growing up. Yeah, yeah, come on with it. That's, uh, we're all old. That's what that means right there. We would go on motorhome trips, RV trips, before they were called RVs. We'd go on motorhome trips with my grandparents, and we would buy comic books on the way. And, and something pretty consistent about those memories and those times were the bad guys. Um, you never knew the backstory to the bad guy in Bonanza. He just didn't like little Joe and Hoss had to get in the way. Amen? You just knew. He came into town, and they were from another city you'll never hear from again, trying to do something ugly or mean. Um, the, the bad guy in, in the comic books, you know, the Joker. We don't know his backstory. We just know he was a bad guy that became really bad. You know what I'm saying? It's just, he's just this one-dimensional character. And, and, and what has happened is we're seeing a, a flow in movies now to do something pretty interesting. They're trying to create backstories to bad guys so that you will feel better towards them and maybe learn more about them instead of learning from them. So it's been an amazing pendulum swing. Before, you know, back in the day, it was the bad guy's a bad guy, the good person's a good person, and the good person will win. Now it's, hey, you need to know the bad guy has a bad backstory that should make you realize they're not such a bad guy. Um, and, and I don't think either one of those are great examples, but what they've done is they've made their way into scripture a little bit because we talk about Bible people in the Bible as Bible what? Characters, don't we? Yeah, you know what? The only time I use the word character is describing someone who's a little hard to handle, amen? Like that's what I do, or a fictional person. I don't, I don't say, you know, hey guys, this week me and the characters in the office planned a great thing for service today. Right, that never happens. You, you don't say, um, I, I went out on a vacation with some characters from our vacation. It was amazing. We know they're people. But in Scripture, we, we make them characters and we can make them one-dimensional by the way that we refer to them. And in doing so, we get to determine which character we want to side with. For instance, show of hands. Who in here has ever heard, and you don't have to go full charismatic, you can go Baptocostal, you can do this. Who has ever heard the story in any way, shape, or form of the Israelites being freed from Egypt? Anybody ever heard that story? Good. When you listen to that story, who's like, I am Pharaoh? <laughs> exactly, right? Like, you're never Pharaoh. In all the bad stories of the Bible, you're, you're never 
you're never Pharaoh. How about this one? Um, you remember Jacob, Jacob and Esau? Do you remember this story? If you're, if you're a church, this is quiz day. I'm testing now. You're going into God's word. And if you remember, Jacob um, had, had, a, had a done wrong to his brother Esau, snuck away to go find a wife. And, and he finds this beautiful young woman. And he goes and talks to her dad, his uncle, Laban. And Laban, do you remember, makes him work seven years to marry his daughter. And then on the wedding night, helps, helps him get a little bit um, inebriated. And he wakes up in the morning and he's married the wrong sister. Anyone like, bro, I'm Laban. You're never Laban, are you? You were always the deceived one. Or the girl who had no choice, but you're never Laban. Anybody like, bro, I'm Judas. No, because that could make me lose my salvation, right? Are you, are you tracking with me here a little bit? When we make scripture one-dimensional stories like comic books, like TV shows, what we tend to do is we tend to decide whom we are learning lessons from and whom not. You know what's interesting? Acts chapter 12, powerful passage of scripture. Some amazing truths are in this, but there's only one person whose story runs from the beginning of verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, to the end of the Bible, or the end of that chapter. You know whose story it is? The bad guy. Isn't that interesting? Why would God allow his, his story to run this thread of Scripture? Today I want you to listen and to read God's Word with me. And I want you to understand the sinner in the story. And I'm going to ask you to let the Holy Spirit open your heart to see what God is trying to teach you through this bad guy, through the sinner. I want to read you some scripture first to kind of set you up for it. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15 says this, Blessed is the man who, is strained, who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he, excuse me, he himself tempts no one. But each person, this is key, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth birth to death. Let me, let me tell you what that means. It means that you can't blame your tendency to sin on God. He did not mess up, and he is not trying to get you to mess up. So when we talk about sin today, Scripture says God isn't responsible. You're going you're to love this next one. It's pretty interesting. In Galatians chapter 6, um, I'll just read verse 2 through 5. It says, Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone is, thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. Check this, verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. What does that mean? It means that no one else is to blame for your sin. 
No, no one else is, is responsible. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say woe to him who causes someone else's. You throw stumbling blocks in people's way, you're, that's sin too. But the devil didn't make you do it. The devil didn't make you a sinner. You see, when we disassociate the, the bad and the good and we read God's words one-dimensionally, we start to make thoughts about ourselves. I could never be the bad person in the story. I could never cause harm like that. I, I could never, I can't conceive of that possibility. And why is that? Because we know our story. And as we use our story to justify what others would call sin, we know better. We know it's circumstance. We know, we know it's environment. We know it's really predicated by the actions of someone else. When we do that, when we allow our story to be the only full story and we make everybody else's story one-dimensional, and we would never own that because that would be a bad thing to do, but that's what we're doing. We minimize sin and keep the Lord God, the gospel, from bringing light into that dark space because we could never be the bad guy because bad guys in scripture are bad I want to pray over you as we get started with this and if you're thinking pastor I don't know what you're preaching to me right now I don't either I just know God's been preaching it to me all week and it's for us and so I don't want to say words over you I want God's word to wash over us in prayer would you bow with me as I read God's word to him in prayer Psalm 139 Lord you inspired these words oh Lord you have searched me and known me you know when I sit down and when I rise up you discern my thoughts from afar and you search out my path and my lying down you're acquainted with all of your ways, even before a word was on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before me, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, and I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely darkness will cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not too dark for you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as a light with you. For you formed me in my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written all of them, the days that were formed for me when, I yet, when yet there was none. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sands of the sea. I awake and I am with you still. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
Church, as we wrestle with this, let me give you an overview and we'll talk about it. The man that we're talking about today, that we're looking into his life, was a real person, lots of documents. His name was Herod. Now, not Herod the Great, that was his grandfather. Herod the Great was in charge when Jesus was born. He was such a great guy, he killed everybody about two years old and under. You remember Herod? So that Herod is dead by this point. He's the grandfather of this Herod, Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa that we'll talk about today is not the same Herod Agrippa that we'll talk about later in Acts. That's his son. As you can tell, Herod's a popular name. In this family, it meant something to pass it on. But in this story, as we talk about Herod, some things happen. James, the brother of John, is killed by this Herod. Peter, the apostle, is thrown in jail by this Herod and, and the church prays and miraculously the Lord sends an angel and brings Peter out of prison while he sleeps between two guards and he brings him to the church as a testimony to his power, as a, as a stint to be courageous, as an encouragement to the body. At the end, this same Herod is basically throwing a party for himself, for lack of a better word, and he doesn't stop the praise well, and so God kills him. Okay? Documented, historically true. So this is what goes on in this passage of Scripture. So, so the grandson of the guy who killed all the babies trying to kill Jesus is the nephew of the guy that beheaded John the Baptist is the one that killed James and tried to kill Peter. That's the guy we're learning from today. And you're thinking, Pastor, I could never have any part of that in my life. His life was drenched in sin. So before we get into it, I just want you to know a little bit about this Herod being the grandson of Herod the Great was not a positive thing because his dad wasn't the oldest son of Herod. So a couple of years before Herod the Great was about to die, he did what, did what all good dads did. He started killing off those who were not his firstborn. He started slaughtering their family and anyone to the claim to the throne. So mom did what any good mother would do when, when Herod Agrippa was about six years old, she said, I can see what's coming. This won't work out well. Please let me go and educate my son in Rome. So Herod, the, the black sheep of the family, had nothing to do with the family for quite some season for that time. He grew up in Rome, and there was a lot of Jews in Rome, but quite honestly, he grew up in the Roman part of Rome. His mom kept him connected to the Jewish faith. He was well-versed and well-student. In fact, he was such a good Jewish student, history would go to show it looks like he made sure his son was discipled as a faithful Jew. Paul would testify to his knowledge later on in Acts. Growing up in a foreign place with a family who didn't want you, his mom's fortune went away. It got him into school. But who wants to be friends with a Jewish boy in a Roman school? 
So he made friends with a cripple. Whether this young man had cerebral palsy or early onset polio, we don't know. We just know that he was crippled and had a difficult time communicating. And so everyone thought he was dumb. The kids would have picked on him if his mom wasn't who she was. Family member connected to Mark Anthony. But this little Jewish boy was friends with the cripple. And he grew up and and he learned to stick up for himself. He had an entrepreneurial spirit, started all kinds of businesses, lost all kinds of money, got deeply in debt. But he was kind to the right people at the right places. Eventually, the Romans got tired of this little boy and he had nowhere else to go, so his mom begged his uncle who despised him to let him come home. So he came home to an uncle who said, here's a little place for you to serve. Here's a little money for you to have. And I will remind you as often as I can that you are worthless. There was only so long that he could put up with that. Eventually he left and went back to, to Rome. He threw, was thrown in prison for, for in his mind, speaking up for, for someone who should be in control against the person who is in control and for a whisper protest was thrown into prison. As Romans did, they assassinated one another and that emperor fell out of favor through death. And one of the guys that was friends with this young boy became emperor. He led him out of prison, put him in charge of regions in Israel and blessed him for, with finances. His uncle hated it, tried to protest, found himself exiled, and his little crippled friend happened to become emperor. And he gave him the rest of the tor territory so that this little boy, who is Jewish, who never had a place, had a territory as large as Herod the Great, his grandfather. And he wanted to prove his Roman friends proud. And he wanted to prove his Jewish family proud. He was a horrible entrepreneur, but he was quite effective as king. Hmm. Do you have rejection in your story? Do you have abuse? He contemplated suicide after he was thrown out of the court in Rome? Do you have family member that wants nothing to do with you? Have you tried to make a way and failed and life been against you? This is the story of Herod Agrippa I. The one who kills James, tries to kill Peter, and is smitten by God. He's not very one-dimensional, is he? He's a real person. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because none of that story justifies his rebellion against the God Most High. None of his story gives, gives any light into eternity on why he did what he did. He is fully accountable for embracing sin and turning from the gospel. You see, he would have grown up 
through the time and the stories of Christ, he would have known all about him. He had opportunity through witness for certain. Church, when you look at Herod, without knowing that God made him a real person, you might never identify with him. But I have a feeling in this room, there are broken people. There, there are people who have worked their feet off to get where they are who are trying to do what is right in their eyes that have seen Herod as a villain their whole life but would never have dared thought themselves in the same category amen yeah I'm telling you I've read the Bible a long time and I've never thought man me and Herod have a lot in common so what happened sin sin unchecked you see his story is going to be a lesson for you and my prayer is that you as as i will this moment and i have throughout this week that you will let the lord expose to you something that you have been hiding from that sin at times makes you the villain as a christian sin at times all the times makes you the enemy in rebellion chapter 12 verse 1 this is what the bible says about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church and he killed James the brother of John with the sword and when he saw that it pleased excuse me, please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Just stop right there. You see, Herod didn't see himself as a bad guy. He saw himself as someone who needed to be loved and affirmed by all he was engaged with. He wouldn't have thought, saw himself as a man pleaser, but I'm telling you, sin leads you and it leads me to live and breathe on the pleasure of men. Now that man or that woman that, that you need to be pleased with may look you in the mirror every morning when you're brushing your hair. That, that, that men or those women may, may sleep next to you in the bed. They may be the people that work with you. They may be the people that go to church with you. I want you to know something. That sin drives you to find your worth in the pleasure of others. This is why it's hard to believe that sin is so wicked in our life. Because we would say, I want to make people happy. But I don't live and breathe to please others. The problem is this, if, if we embrace the lie, then we will hide the power of sin because we really won't ever do anything that bad. All of our sins are kind of small that affect other people. And so we always have a reason that people need to see our backstory. So it's not that I'm sinning, it's you don't understand. Do you see what happens there? Sin draws us to live for the affirmation, for the pleasure of men. And in doing so, deflects us from the reality of the unraveling that it's doing in our life. Church, 
in Herod's life, he desired to be loved as he neglected the God who loved him. In your life, how often do you seek the approval of God? And how often do you seek the approval of men or how often does the lack of approval of men or women cause you to bury yourself? Church, this morning, I want you to know, I want you to see that the big picture of God's plan is that sin begins the unraveling beneath the surface. You might say, well, I didn't kill James. And, and Herod will say, well, I did because the people of God thought it would be a good thing and I love them. Church, God is not calling you to be a man pleaser. Sin does that. Now, it's a completely different sermon, but you need to know this. And you, this, is, this is legit. God's not calling you to be a jerk for Jesus either. Amen? Are you with me? So you can say the truth as a jerk, and that's sin. You tracking with me? Herod wanted to be loved because sin was a man pleaser. Killing James pleased men who were connected to God. Now, verse 3 through verse 19, I won't read it all. He saw this was a good thing, so he grabs Peter, and he throws him in jail, and everything points to, I'm going to kill him too. This is working great. It'll please Rome. It'll keep the Jews happy. This is going to be outstanding. Everybody loved the first move. Everybody's talking about such a good job I'm doing. Everybody's affirming how I'm needed. Everybody's saying how it's never been like this before. Everybody is telling me how much they need me so throw him in jail let me keep living for you're that a boy and then God intervenes why didn't he intervene with James well God may tell you look to Paul's writing we haven't learned this very well but to live is Christ but to die is what better it's better so he intervenes here with Peter because God has a plan. And when the word gets out, this is what happened. Look with me in your Bible all the way down to verse 18 of chapter 12. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he spent time down, down there. You see, here's what sin does, church. It lives not, not only to be loved, but not to be a failure. Not to disappoint anybody. Because if I'm a failure, if I'm a disappointment, I will lose the praise and the affirmation that sin thrives on. And so what does Herod do? He covers it up. He hides it. Whatever I can do to make sure that this failure and disappointment is never seen of and never heard of, it's not dealing with it. Sin doesn't want you to deal with it, church. It wants you to justify it, cover it up, push blame, or put it out there. But anything except dealing with it, the ends justify a means because sin is a fault finder and a great pretender. Oh, church. Oh. 
if only Herod was one-dimensional. Have you ever been there? Mad at yourself for failing, for being a disappointment, and trying to fix it without addressing it? (laughs) This isn't sin, but it's the picture. Some of you in here are artists. I am not an artist. Do you know how I know I'm not an artist other than I can't draw well? When I would draw as a child on paper, if I would mess up, what would I turn it into? A cloud. How many of your mistakes were clouds? I have clouds all over my pictures growing up. Because I didn't know how to deal with it, so I just pretended it was something else. Sin starts us to unravel because we don't want it to unravel. So we embrace it to try to stop where it's leading us. Verse 19, excuse me, verse 20. The Bible says this. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came and with him in one accord having persuaded Blastus the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country food for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Josephus would say they were silver. Hmm. He put on his royal robes and he took his seat on the throne, delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of God and not a man. And immediately the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. See, this amazing thing about sin. It leads you to the place that it's promised to lead you. This is where I want to be. Sin is a a deceiver and a liar, but it's it's brilliant how we convince ourselves. Herod, this is where I want to be. There's documented notes that thought, thought Herod might think he might actually be the Messiah because of what God was doing to him to unite the people of God. And as they sang praises to him, I can only imagine him saying, this is why I'm alive. This is what I'm living for. Church, I will not deceive you. Sin will take you to its destination. Temporary praise and total destruction. That's where sin walks us to. Temporary praise. That's why when we sin outside of marriage and relationship in the moment, it temporarily edifies ourself before it destructs, destroys us. That's why it feels amazing to give someone a piece of your mind. And when you're done, the burden is so heavy you can hardly bear it yourself because of the way you acted. Sin leads you to temporary praise and permanent destruction. Church, it's serious. It's not just something one-dimensional characters struggle with, but the Bible says, for all have sinned. What, What does that mean? Well, since I'm a sinner and they're a sinner, who am I? Well, if that's your take, then you're on a road to destruction. Because whom Christ has set free is free indeed. When I know a brother or sister is in sin, 
What should I do? Look what scripture says. Gently restore them. Gently reach out to them. You know who can't restore someone gently? The man or woman who has never been fully restored. Because they've buried their sin with justifications and reason. Because if others only knew our story, rejected by my family, befriended the small and the weak and the crippled, given a position I didn't ask for, if they only knew my story, they would know it's not sin. I have good intentions. Church, this morning I want you to know that that good intentions of the sinful heart lead to a place of temporary place and full destruction. So in the invitation, I wanna ask you to look into your heart. Invite the Holy Spirit to commune with you in this moment. Are you living for that affirmation and that praise? And listen, preach into the choir. Are you living... Are you, are you holding yourself on how people respond to you, good or bad? Does your worth find itself there, church? That is sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have access to the Holy Spirit in this moment. You need no help from me. You need no direction. All you need to do is bow your head and remind the Father who loves you that you have put him outside in this area and he wants to commune with you. Open the door, God. Forgive me of marginalizing my sin. But if you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know Herod was a real person who has a real backstory, who was really trying to do what he felt was right. And he found himself where sin would lead, deceived and judged. It didn't have to be that way for him and it doesn't have to be that way for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but God offers you a free gift of eternal life, proximity, closeness, and relationship with him. So in this moment, that's what we lean into. Let's pray together. Father God, oh Lord. There is no one more guilty of making villains one-dimensional in this room watching online than me. I know my story so well that I justify, I cover up my actions, my, my sin, my desires, my excuses with just reasoning, Lord. And then I easily tell others about their sin. Father God, in this moment, I pray that no one watching, no one in this room, and not even the pastor himself will be thinking of another person outside of them, themselves, their heart, their soul. Lord, don't let sin go unhidden, uncovered. Lord, don't let it lead us to the great unraveling of friendships, of family, of life, of eternity. Instead, God, expose it now see if there's any grievous way and lead me away from it to everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.